0: This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome back. 403-974-8255 is the number. Rob Breckenridge with you here. Our final half hour this afternoon. We'll hand things over to Angela Cocott after 3 o'clock. I think the story I've been eager to talk about today, I think a lot of uh, you were eager to find out more about. Big announcement from NASA. Usually when NASA teases uh, that they've got a news conference coming up, a major announcement, we all take notice. I think we all hope that this is finally it. They've, uh, They've found the aliens. Well, this isn't quite that but it's still a pretty big announcement. So let's try to go through what what was found here. Uh, They have identified seven Earth-sized planets in orbit around a dwarf star. It's only about 40 light years away, which sounds small when you talk in in those terms. That's about 235 trillion miles. (laughs) See, that's a ways away. But relatively close to us, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. It's a system known as TRAPPIST-1. Back in May of last year, researchers using TRAPPIST, this is a telescope system, announced that they'd identified three planets in the system. So further work has, in fact, increased that to seven. All of them believed to be Earth-sized, maybe all of them rocky. There are three in particular that are right there in that habitable zone which suggests maybe they could have liquid water on their surfaces. Maybe they would have the conditions necessary for life. So, look, it's pretty neat that we're able to do this, make these discoveries. And obviously, it suggests that maybe Earth-like planets are in abundance throughout our universe. Joining us for some thoughts, some analysis, please welcome to the program Dr. Natalie Oulette, a research associate at Queen's University in the Department of Physics, Engineering, Physics, and Astronomy. Natalie, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program thanks
1: for having
0: me all right so exciting stuff today what what stands out to you about uh, what was announced today?
1: Probably what stands out to me is uh, the fact that we found three planets in the habitable zone around this planet so when people hear about planets being found in the what we call the Goldilocks region around planet uh, around stars um, people get really excited but um, if you look at our own solar system uh, Venus, Earth, and Mars are all found basically within our Goldilocks zone, and we only have life on one of them. So the more planets we can find within a habitable zone, the more likely it is that we can find water or maybe even life. So to find one is okay, but to find three, that really increases our odds.
0: Yeah, well, it certainly does. I mean, it's very exciting in that sense. You're right. So I- explain in a bit more I mean, in, in kind of layman's terms, too. Just obviously we're not seeing these planets per se. We don't have telescopes powerful enough to take a peek at them. So how are we discovering them in the first place?
1: The way that uh, – so there are several different ways that you can find the presence of exoplanets, um, the most common of which is called something – is something called um, uh, uh, tr- transits or planetary transits, basically, Mm -hmm. and this is what we use to uh, discover these exoplanets. So you're staring at a star, in this case you're staring at TRAPPIST-1, and you're looking at the brightness uh, dimming or brightening over time, and what's happening is the exoplanets are uh, transiting over the star, so they're eclipsing small parts of the light the same way that uh, you have a moon eclipsing the sun here during a, a solar eclipse. And we can study exactly how those little light dims are happening, how big the dimming is and how periodic it is to discover exactly the number of planets that are transiting over the star, their size and their radius from the parent star.
0: Interesting. So we're, we're kind of gauging the, what happens to the star when the planets go around them.
1: Exactly. So we can't currently uh, image these individual planets. Um, We're working on uh, lots of different technologies to do that in the future, but we're we're not quite there yet for um, systems that are 40 light years away. Um, But we're finding all these clues and we're piecing it together to see the evidence of these planets.
0: Uh, And we're finding more and more of these. So. When when you talk about how the more we find, the more it increases the odds that these planets might harbor life, what does it tell us about just how abundant these kinds of planets are?
1: We estimate that approximately 50% of all stars um, might have a planetary system. And when I say planetary system, that could be one planet or... 10 planets or even more and if you look at our own Milky Way and the fact that there are a hundred billion stars in our Milky Way alone that's potentially 50 billion uh, planetary systems uh, in our galaxy alone and we're not even looking at the hundreds of billions of galaxies outside of our own galaxy so as we're getting better and better instruments we're finding more of them and we're finding that um, a star having a system of planets is not that uncommon at all
0: Uh, This is a a dwarf star, and it seems like these planets are relatively close to one another that if we're standing on one, you could probably see the others, right? So it's kind of a condensed solar system, isn't it?
1: It definitely is. Um, There are lots of really uh, great uh, graphics that have been made by the TRAPPIST team that are available online. But the the entirety of the planetary system, which uh, includes the dwarf star and the seven planets, could all be contained within about uh, one third of the orbit of Mercury alone, and Mercury is the closest planet to our sun. So it's way, way smaller than our entire solar system.
0: And some of these planets seem weird. Now, I, I don't even like, for example, I was reading that one of them doesn't actually rotate, so there's kind of permanent daytime and permanent nighttime. I didn't, I didn't even know that was possible.
1: <laughs> so uh, you. you- be more familiar um, with uh, that concept than, than you think. Um, every time you look up at the moon, the moon always looks pretty much the same to you, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's because the moon is tidally locked to Earth the same way that uh, these planets are tidally locked to their parent star. It's exactly the same concept. Um, their uh, uh, rotation on their own axis is just perfectly timed such that they always show the same face to their star, the same way that the moon always shows the same face to Earth.
0: Interesting. So how do we build upon this knowledge? I mean, obviously now we want to know more about these planets. There's the very tantalizing prospect, of course, of, of life that I think drives a lot of that curiosity. But where, where do we go from here?
1: Um, so when we have these kinds of huge discoveries in astronomy, it's sort of all hands on deck and we're pointing at all, using all of our telescopes and pointing all relevant telescopes to those, uh, those uh, regions in our sky. Um, Spitzer, which is an instrument that was used uh, for this particular discovery, wasn't really made to study exoplanets, but through some clever engineering we we made it work. But now we have telescopes that were really built to study exoplanets, such as the Kepler telescope. And it's currently observing the TRAPPIST star right now as we speak, and it will be doing so up until um, about mid-March. So we're going to be finding more information about the planets there. We might be finding more exoplanets. We'll be able to pin down their masses and their uh, radius a little bit better. And as we go to larger and larger telescopes, such as the James Webb Space Telescope, which will be launching next year, we'll be able to use larger mirrors to really get more detail on these things and maybe possibly even look at chemical markers in the atmospheres of these planets and start really pinning down the elements that could be found on these planets. Maybe there's water or oxygen or carbon, maybe we'll be able to find life markers on these planets which are really pointing to life being
0: there. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Natalie, thanks so much for your insight here. Appreciate you making some time for us.
1: No problem. Thank All you right, for having me.
0: All right, take care. Uh, Natalie Ouellette at uh, Queen's University of the Department of Physics, Engineering, Physics, and Astronomy. You can find her on Twitter. She's the Angry Astro Panda. She <laughs> didn't sound very angry to me. Astropanda.space is her own website. Uh, so some interesting thoughts from her on the significance of this and the, the strides we're making and being able to identify these planets and learn more about them. Uh, the illustrations are pretty cool that NASA's released, but obviously they're just sort of a best guess at this point. I have no idea what these planets look like or what might be on them. Now, there is, of course, uh, SETI, the SETI project, which involves listening for alien signals. And obviously then if we have an idea of maybe where to, to focus on, we can do that. I was reading one story here that points out that uh, in fact last year SETI uh, turned their alien telescope array to this system. Didn't find any signal. Uh, but Seth Shostak, who's the senior astronomy at SETI, says I think we'll do it again now that there are seven planets. I think it's an interesting story because that could indeed be a small little galactic empire right there. And just, the further point, though, about what we keep discovering, he says it shows there's an awful lot of territory on which you could have life. When you have tens of billions of habitable worlds, moons and planets, just in our galaxy, that's a stunningly large number of worlds where there could be life. It takes a daring person to say we're the only one where anything interesting is happening. It's a bit self-centered, I say. Well, it gets back to that paradox, right? Where is all the life, then? Maybe it's just there. We haven't found it yet. Maybe intelligent life is rare. Maybe life itself is abundant. I mean, if you take humans out of the equation, Earth is still a pretty fascinating place. But you don't have any other creatures capable of producing those kinds of communications. Maybe that sort of life is abundant through the universe. How would they ever announce their presence? What is that, though, uh, Fermi? The Fermi paradox? I think that's what we're talking about here. The apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence and the high probability estimates, for the existence of extraterrestrial life. So we're at least able to find these planets where it's more likely you would find life. But the, I mean, the other side of it is that life can exist in all kinds of weird ways. But you don't necessarily need these Goldilocks zone planets, but that certainly helps. Anyway, fascinating stuff. we got to take a break here. 403-974-TALK is our number. Back with more right after that. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk
1: 770 Calgary.